All right, everybody, welcome back to Repeal the 20th Century. Uh, I have our second guest here, a guy I very much admire, somebody who's very intelligent. Um, Peter, would you like to introduce yourself? Pete Quinones. I am the host of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. I do, um, I'm the managing editor of the Libertarian Institute with Scott Horton, Sheldon Richmond, Kyle Anslone, Keith Knight, Patrick McFarland, Tommy Sammons, and I have a sub stack by any means necessary. And I'm the co-executive producer of the Monopoly on Violence documentary, which is on Amazon Prime right now. And um, yeah, I'm sure there's some other stuff I can think of, but that's the big stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to have you on. Um, trying to have, you know, some people where we can have some thoughtful discussions. And, well, let me um, ask a question. I don't know the answer sure. to this. Who was your first guest? So Josh, Joshua Smith was my oh, first okay. guest. Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. We talked Joshua's about, good. Yeah. yeah, we talked about the LP. We talked about liberty movement and activism and just kind of like, what can libertarians do that's practical, you know? What is a practical way to achieving our goals? We talked about all kinds of stuff. Um, if, if you haven't seen that interview for anybody watching, I would suggest watching it. It's a really great interview and I, I was very happy with it. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to talk to you a lot because uh, recently on Twitter, you've been uh, talking more and more about post-libertarianism and being a post-libertarian. And uh, me, I, I, ha- I haven't fully gotten from you or, or anybody else exactly um, what you mean by this. So if you wanted to just kind of like give the rundown on what it is for people who don't know. Well, a bunch of us like looked at the last 18 months mm-hmm. and said, okay, we're basically on the verge of totalitarianism and libertarian ideology has been around for a century. Yeah. Why hasn't it taken hold? Why hasn't it, why hasn't it helped to stop this? You know, is it because there's not a good messenger out there? Is it, what is it? And basically what post-libertarian, we like the term praxian because I think a lot of libertarians are familiar with the term praxis. And what it is, is it's looking for the solution to what's happening now. Mm-hmm. And so like, you have somebody like Matt Erickson from the King Pilled podcast, who is also Jason Stapleton's co-host, where Jason and Matt talk about wealth, power, and influence, gaining wealth, and being able to basically have set up your career so that you're mobile. So like, say you are in New York City, and you can't go into a supermarket unless you have a vaccine passport, and you're basically going to starve or you know, worse comes to worse, you can get out, you can move somewhere, you don't have to be tied to one place. And also, to gain enough wealth where, you know, and well, I mean, that's really what it is, you know, Jason and I talked about it on my show, where we we're talking about wealth, and we weren't talking about, you know, like getting insanely wealthy, but being able to just do what you need to do and do what you want to do on a, mm-hmm. on a basis. And then, you know, there is the people who have wealth or who want to achieve wealth, you know, there is that thing where, you know, wealthy people tend not to go to jail as much as poor people. Um, Wealthy people tend to have political influence more than poor people. So there's that part of it. Then there's the part that is, that is like, okay, um, 
like the paleo strategy. People discussing the paleo strategy of like Tho Bishop is doing down in Panama City Beach, where you go into the local GOP and you start influencing them. You know, Tho talks about how he talks. Sometimes he'll give speeches and he'll just be reading directly from Rothbard and you know, he'll get standing ovations. And, you know, it's a lot of people look at the right now and they try to like maybe they're trying to define the right through George W. Bush years, right? But the right is completely different now. Um, I think a lot of people try to pretend that Trump didn't happen. Well, Trump happened and there's a lot wrong with the right, but they're a lot easier to influence than woke progressives. So there's that strategy. Um, there's also what we've looked at is a lot of HAPA and especially HAPA what must be done. Um, his speech at the Mises Supporter Summit, I believe it was the Supporter Summit, January 1996 or 97, can't remember right now. And he basically laid out a plan for localism mm -hmm. and pretty much in the vein of what Tho is doing down there, but very much more targeted, um, looking to privatize certain things on the local level and you know, talking about... You know, it, that I think the thing that you get from Hoppe is once you read Hoppe, you realize we're not going to have a 340 million people in Ankapistan. Just your, you and your neighbor don't agree with, have the same, a lot of times you don't have the same culture with your neighbor. So it's like, all right, how do you, how does this happen? Well, I mean, maybe you're just going to have to look for people of like culture and you know, try to take over do everything to take over local government and institute what Hoppe called 10,000 Liechtensteins, where you decentralize down to down as far as you can, you know, and I mean, Hoppe is an anarcho-capitalist. Um, in theory, I am, but mm -hmm. I don't see anarchy in my lifetime. So we need to get it down to where it's realistic. And then you have someone like Andrew, um, of popular liberty fame, who is coming out for coming out with strategies like specific strategies that Hoppe didn't get into. He's actually refining Hoppe a little bit. And I don't know if he's refining Hoppe, but he's like stuff that Hoppe didn't talk about in that speech, like really precise stuff Andrew's coming up with. So that's what post libertarianism is. It's one of the things that I think that it it is as well is something that I coined, a phrase I coined, and I catch a lot of crap for it. And I think it's because most people don't understand what, what it means is stop living in Ancapistan in your head. Hmm. Um, Ancapistan is not going to happen. It's, it, it's just not, not in your lifetime. Yeah. I don't care if you're, if you were just a baby who was born today is not going to see Ancapistan. They may see a private city, a city that's private Tish, that's libertarian ish. But that's, you know, because I remember I had Walter Block on episode 105 or something on my podcast, and I was still one of those narco-capitalists. We're going to see, we can make this work. We can make yeah. ANCAPism work. And Walter Block just said, it's not going to happen. It's not in the, it can't happen because of evolution. It can't happen because of where people are at right now. So it's like, you know, Hoppe, the way Hoppe, and especially the way Andrew talks about it is we sort of have to trick people 
maybe you have to play to their, you know, play to conservatives. Oh, you know, lower taxes, more, more liberty pro gun, you know, just go with that as much as you can. And, you know, stop living in Ancapistan in your head. Another thing of living in Ancapistan in your head is like, if somebody is arguing about like war or something like something that's happening in Syria, if somebody says, well, I mean, I really think that, you know, we need this, if we could move the troops from here to there, it would be a lot safer for the troops. It'd be a lot safer for everybody. And then somebody will just be like, well, I'm, I'm an anarchist. I don't believe war is nothing can be done because war is immoral. Well, I mean, that's nice. And yeah, sure. Technically, but that doesn't help anything in the real world. What you're not allowed to have an opinion about the real world, about real world solutions, because you're an ant, because you're living in Ancapistan in your head. Honestly, I think a lot of those people are just people who they've never had their ass kicked. They've never been punched in the mouth. And they may still, and I hate to say this because it sounds so friggin' cliche, but they may still live at home and they may still have everything, you know, they've never had to pay a bill on their own. And once you get out into the real world and you really start seeing how it works and you start getting your ass kicked, you can have, then maybe you're allowed to have, you know, opinions about how the real world should work, especially if the real world is affecting you. I have a real hard time with people who are out in the real world. The real world is affecting them. And they're still, you know, like, well, I'm an anarchist. I can't have an opinion on the real world. It's just, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, yeah, your, your principles, you know, I was also the one, I think I coined the phrase, you know, you're going to be the most principled person on the box car because, you know, you just, you, you would allow it to get to the point where, tyranny would just absolutely take hold and you still haven't done anything to stop it because you're relying on your principles. I mean, I heard a discussion with some people recently. I'm not going to say who they are because they're really inconsequential, but um, well, one of them is inconsequential. The other two are okay. Um, And they were like the one who's inconsequential is like, well, you know, if it gets to that point, then you can take, pick up guns. Well, anybody who's read like Sun Tzu knows that if it gets to the point where you have to pick up guns, you've lost. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you're if your ideology is if you have the most the most brilliant political ideology of all time and it gets to the point where you have to pick up guns and you can't then you maybe you should rethink your ideology. And that's another thing. Or maybe your ideology is sound, but you should be looking at it from a different perspective. You should be approaching it from a different perspective. You should have practical praxis you know, looking for using that, uh, something to use it to prevent what we have. And the last 18 months has just shown me that libertarianism, as long as it's been around, has done really not, has not done much to influence the main, the mainstream, not even the mainstream. I mean, the mainstream is usually controlled by some, by, by some radical ideology. Um, the people around you, it hasn't helped with the people around you. And, you know, that's, 
I mean, that's a long, long answer about what post-libertarianism is, but I'm just giving you all the thoughts, all the questions that I have. I'm not going to speak for anybody else in the group, but these are the questions I have is like, well, well, what do you do? I mean, I mean, look, the last thing, I mean, the, the people I was saying about this person who's inconsequential talking about, oh, well, you know, then you get to pick up guns. Well, that person can say that, but I guarantee you they're not picking up guns. They're not going to be the yeah. one picking up guns. It's going to be someone else. You know, I'm not picking up guns. I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm going to go to Canada. I'll go somewhere else. I mean, screw that. I'm not fighting for this stupid garbage. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. I'm not going to fight for your, your principles that, you know, if your principles cannot, you know, Oh, ideas are the most dangerous things. Really? I mean, idea. If libertarian ideas were really dangerous, then you know we. You'd think that you'd actually be in the conversation and wouldn't be like the butt of a Twitter joke every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree completely. I mean, based off that definition, I think I would also describe myself in similar terms. I mean, I. I gave up the, the concept or the notion that I would ever see Ancapistan in my life, you know, about a year ago, I was like, it just isn't going to happen. You know, we have, we have basis for seeing things like Ancapistan in the past, but they've always been small. I mean, the biggest would be when Italy was a collection of city states and, you know, there was, there was people basically agreed to be under this jurisdiction. And if they did it, one could... culture, they were all one culture. Yeah. They were all, you know, they were brothers and sisters and cousins. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. Know, it was, it was say, very oh, small. What about Iceland? What, what about medieval Iceland? What about medieval Ireland? Yeah. Again, what are those, th- what do those places have in common? They're all related to each other. I mean, still in Iceland today, there's an, there's a dating app that you put your name in there and the person you're going to date in there. And it'll tell you if how closely related you are because almost everybody on the Island is related. Well, you know, I went, I've been to Iceland. I didn't see any cops there. They told me there had been like two murders in like the past two years. And it were both committed by tourists and like people working on ships who were coming in and yeah. out of the port and everything. And then it's like the cops have like murdered one, have had to kill one person in the last 10 years. And they all, and, and that cop like quit and they all went to the funeral and everything because they were so broken up over it. It's like, well, I mean, how, why, mm-hmm. what does, what does Iceland have there that we don't have here? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious when you start looking at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's it's as simple as why we care about decentralization in the first place. I mean, why why do you why should we care about this? Oh, it makes the state weaker. Well, no, not exactly. That's not the actual reason. The actual reason is because decentralization, you know, puts people of like minded together in small communities. And, and really is the best way of conflict resolution because you're less likely to have conflict with people you agree with on most things, with people who you know are like-minded to you. If you're gonna mix a bunch of people who have different cultures and ideas about even the most basic things, you're going to see conflict. And a lot of libertarians are really ignorant of this. Um, not just people who are like, oh, I'm an open borders libertarian. Those are the, the, the most egregious case. But even 
people who like Hoppe. I mean, there are still people who like Hoppe who think that like major, um, we're going to see major and Kapistan cities that are just like going to suddenly be libertarian, but that's not going to happen. Urban environments are a horrible place for libertarianism. I mean, um, one of the articles I actually wrote for the Libertarian Institute was about kind of just like how COVID has destroyed a lot of urbanization because people don't want to live in cities when they realize that cities are, you know, a breeding ground for um, other people who don't care about you controlling what you do. Um, they limit you the ability for you to get housing. They limit the ability for you to even feed yourself. And, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing that on a mass scale today. We're seeing it much worse in other countries. I mean, look at Australia right now. Very, very, all, all the videos we're seeing are all from urban cities. They're all from the cities in Australia. I bet if you go to the rural parts of Australia, it's, life is normal. I bet you there's nothing going on there. But, you know, people yeah, don't yeah. think about this. Well, yeah, I mean, I have to ask. I don't know if... Um... I mean, I know some people in urban Australia mm -hmm. and I know at least one and, you know, this isn't hitting him at all. Yeah, yeah, this isn't, but it's, it's in the cities. And, you know, it's like I said, I'm going to New York next week and New York city. Mm -hmm. And I expect the worst. I expect to, I mean, I, I expect to see a dystopian, like the dystopian future, like the beginnings, like the, like the, um, the, the ending of the first act of a movie that where a civilization grows into a dystopia because what are they going to do? I mean, unless people, this could end in New York in a second, this could end yeah. in one day, people just marching in and even people who aren't are chose to get the vaccine. Just, no, I'm not showing you anything. There's no, going to be no papers, please here. But I mean, there are so many people on the left who are like, they're proud of this. I mean, it's like they they take a certain pride in it. You know, and I just released an episode with Eric July and Eric July was talking about how these people are just do nothings. It's mm. like this is the thing that they can do in their life that makes them feel special. You know, and I really the answer and I, I've been, I was saying this right from the beginning of COVID was get the hell out of cities. And that's what I did. You know, I got out of Atlanta and um, I'm in a, I'm in a small town in Ohio where, I mean, you still go to the chain grocery store down here and it says you must wear a mask, but like, you know, more than half the people are just walking in and out. No, no yeah. one says anything, you know, it's just, and, and you know, I went to, um, I went to a doctor's office today and they were like, okay, wear a mask, you know, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, Maybe before COVID, wearing a doctor, wearing a mask into a doctor's office may have been actually a really good idea because yeah. there's sick people in there, you know. So it's like, I mean, it doesn't bother me so much when the doctor is like, "Can you, you know, wear a mask and everything?" It's like, well, actually, that would have made more. That would have made sense before COVID because I mean, I've heard all the horror stories of people catching stuff and getting sick and dying in hospitals from like infections that they yeah they caught and everything like that. Um, but as far as everything else goes, I mean, to go into, you know, a bakery, to go into a jewelry store, to go into a grocery store. I mean, this is just stupid. I mean, to go, to fly. I mean, there is no evidence that like an outbreak has ever happened on a plane. There's no evidence. I mean, you would have thought that like 
in places where they didn't do mask mandates, so say most of Texas, uh, Texas, Florida, um, South Dakota, that you would have seen an epidemic of people who work in grocery stores getting COVID and dying. You know, you just don't see it. You, know, you yeah. don't see it. And you, you have to ask why. It's like, I mean, well, where, where is this happening? Well, apparently when I got it, I got it because we were in a really small tent stuck together and a, and somebody had it and just it just started passing around. And yeah. like a lot of people got it. And it made sense to me. It's like, all right, well, I mean, someone, some asshole was, you know, knew they were sick and came in here. If I would have known I was sick, I would have stayed in my hotel room. Um, but, you know, it's like we weren't, it, it just happened. But I understand why it happened. But in a grocery store, it's like, come on, what do you, you know, and like early on, people were like, it, it was coming out that it was happening, like churches. It yeah. was really big in churches and everything like that. And it's like, well, yeah, people are singing. People are huddled together and everything like that. I mean, I can understand yeah. that. You know, I mean, you, you, you take precautions. I mean, I was sick with it. And, and you know, it, 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 I, I did not enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it for one second and everything. But to, I've had a worse flu in the past. I mean, I've had a flu that has woken me up in the middle of the night that I couldn't breathe. Yeah. Where I was like completely stuffed up. My throat was swelled up and I woke up and I'm choking. I never had that with this, even though I had the, the lung issue that's associated with, um, with COVID. Yeah. I mean, it's just, <sighs> and to bring it all back home, I mean, really when, look at all this, what has libertarianism done to help this? I mean, you have the most vocal of the libertarians, the people that, that, that the mainstream takes serious, like the Beltway, Cato and Reasonites, you know, and especially mm -hmm. Cato, just making, having people writing and making arguments for, you know, for vaccine mandates and everything like this. Like, come yeah, on. they just had a big one today that everyone's yeah. throwing a fuss about. Yeah. And it's like, come on. It's like, these people are just, no wonder no one takes libertarianism seriously. The loudest, the people who get the, um, who get the most attraction from the general public are the Catoites mm -hmm. or the degenerate left woke progressive libertarians. There's no such thing. They just, yeah, they, they've infiltrated and they're trying to destroy it. And the only time like the Mises people get attacked, we don't get attacked from the main, from the mainstream, except for being like rabidly anti-war or yeah. rabidly pro free market. The only time that you get, um, you get attacked is from the Cato white libertarians who are scared of losing their seat at the friggin' Washington DC dinner tables. Yeah. And the woke progressives who are offended by everything offended by the existence of straight white people. So, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, I, I gotta agree. I mean, uh, the other day I was looking at um, Students for Liberty, which um, Hoppe affectionately calls Stupids for Liberty. And, you know, looking at their new event, uh, it's completely understandable. And these are people who have a, a decent voice. Luckily, Young Americans for Liberty is starting to outshadow them because um, they're a far better voice and actually get things done, uh, unlike a lot of libertarians. But uh, their conference 
Uh, some of the big speakers include Vosh and uh, Destiny, like these people who are like aggressively anti-libertarian, anti the ideas that you espouse, that you claim to believe in. And, you know, mo most of the guest list is pretty sad, honestly. It's like, it's who are these property. people? Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the people there are like, who are these people? The, the uh, few names I recognize were like uh, Matt Kibbe, who, you know, he shows up to every SFL thing. I think he has a contract with them. Um, Lou Perez, who I don't know if you know who that is. But I know he's, Lou. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Lou is there. We're going to be there, though. I had a very interesting conversation with him about it in DMs. It was pretty funny. It was just like, I didn't know they were inviting Vosh when I accepted this thing. But um and then Brian Kaplan, which, you know, I only know because I went to GMU and he was the reason I went to GMU. Um, but other than that, th these are just nobodies. These are people who are probably going to get laughed at just by a first sight, you know, and, and then allying yourself with people like Vosh, like Destiny, whose fan bases are dedicated to just like using you as the butt of a joke. It, it shows a lack of like strat strategic minding on libertarians parts. It's, it's constantly, constantly happening where they just do things that are either not to their benefit or will directly harm them. You know, well, it, it could be one of two things or several things, but two things that come to mind is one they're They just exist to destroy the name libertarian. Yeah. to destroy the idea of libertarianism Two, they want to be accepted by the main by mainstream culture and yeah. you know it's like i mean i don't want to be accepted by mainstream culture there's that meme of um if you homeschool your kid they're not going to be able to fit in with yeah. you know fit in with the culture and he said yeah well that's the idea mm -hmm. yeah. it's like i don't i wasn't homeschooled but i mean i did go to catholic school and everything yeah that's that was bad enough but um yeah, I, I don't fit in with the culture. I, yeah. I don't, I mean, like, basically what we, we have a culture of like, small talk. We have a culture of like, the binary thinking. Mm -hmm. That's not me. You know, it's like, I can do those things. I fake it really well. I fake, I, I mean, I'm, my neighbors think I'm like the cool, really cool and everything. And I'm really does but it's like and i think they're really cool and everything and i they're just so you know they're just normies mm -hmm. and but it's like i mean i can't have I, I can't talk about the 1917 russian revolution with them i mean yeah. they don't know, these people don't know anything and these you know it's like you want to have a conversation about something scholarly or even like a, a basic economics you know i mean there's nothing there and you know, what can you do i mean it's it's where we are and it's why Hoppe is right. It's small little groups. You just have to like, you know, get your group together and, you know, take over a town, do things like that. And, you know, if you, if that's what you want, if you want politics, if you think that politics is the way to go, I mean, national politics is just a joke. State yeah. politics, I mean, depending on the state, I don't know, but as local as possible. I mean, you can, there are, I mean, there are, um, Hoppe was talking about how the, there were towns in Northern California in the late 90s that if you weren't a property owner, you couldn't vote locally. You know, it's like, 
it's that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I know it's a, I mean, if we were to, if libertarians would have really started pressing that 25 years ago, I mean, imagine where we could be, but, yeah. um, but now still, you know, I mean, that, that's going to be immediately. They'll be like, Oh, and you don't want black people to vote and you don't want women to vote yeah. and everything like that. And it'll be like, um, but the, yeah, but really it starts with property owners and you, and no one, you know, property owner cannot have a say in the community and somebody who works for the government can't have a say in the community because they're not a taxpayer. They're a tax collector. So, you know, I mean, I really, that's really the only way to go now. I mean, you look at something like students for Liberty. Okay. What is, what are their goals? Mm -hmm. What are their goals? I mean, I know what YAL's goals are and I like YAL's goals because they really concentrate on getting, you know, like Liberty friendly Republicans um, mm -hmm. elected around the country. And that's cool. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, I'm not going to rip on them for that, but what does the Students for Liberty do? I mean, what does the National Libertarian Party do? Mm -hmm. The Liber National Libertarian Party is, I mean, they're, but they're, they're an embarrassment. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, there's, I mean, how many more libertarians do you think there are than are in the Libertarian Party? So, I mean, if there's, Say there's 10,000 or 15,000 dues paying members of the National Libertarian Party. And that could be accurate. And think about how sad that is. Well, how, yeah. many, how many libertarians do you think there are out there? And there's a hell of a lot more than that, that, that would, you know, people that would be involved would be willing to get involved with the LP if the LP was just based. And yeah. they're, but they're not. I mean, they, they cater to the left. They, they're they the most embarrassing stuff in public. They start campaigns that just, you know, are going to not go anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, I mean, what do you do with it? You just don't, you know, I mean, it's really, if you're not following like a, a sound, a strategy that makes sense. I mean, there's no, there's not going to be a libertarian president in my lifetime unless they run as a Republican and they just have, I mean, they just happen to go like super populist message or something like that. I mean, even then, I don't think they'd allow it. I mean, look at the last populist. They probably made sure he didn't get elected a second time. Um, but at least... And even when he was elected, I mean, he had enemies. He was surrounded by enemies. I mean, um, somebody who has really great stories on this, who was at Mises, um, Judge Napolitano. He talks mm -hmm. about it a lot because he had the ear, he had the ear of Trump sometimes. And, you know, he was surrounded by people who just were undermining everything he did that um, anytime Napolitano would try to, like, get anything Liberty in um, real good story is the story of Gorsuch getting nominated because Napolitano was the big influencer and in getting the Gorsuch um, nominated. And, you know, he was describing Gorsuch to Trump and he was on the phone with, uh, I think, Bannon and um, Pence, where we're also on the phone. And, you know, he's describing this judge without saying Gorsuch. And, you know, Bannon accuses him of um, accuses him of, of describing himself and that you just want, you know, to get yourself in as a Supreme Court justice. And you're a little too long in the tooth for that. Well, Donald Trump being a Donald Trump, you know, you know, screams at Bannon and says he's a little long in the tooth 
I'm older than the judge. I'm, I'm longer in the tooth. And, you know, I think it just shows to demonstrate that, you know, like Bannon had people, even Bannon, who, you know, is said to like be a very populist guy, was constantly undermining Trump's ability to do anything that, you know, matched his message that actually matched what he wanted to do. And I think that's the problem with federal politics in general. I mean, look, look at what's happening to Thomas Massey after he voted against the Iron Dome funding. Even mm-hmm. other libertarians are attacking him because he he did he voted no on an amendment to cut you know military spending by ten percent. Like fuck you. Like have you seen his voting record? How can have, you not? How can you not? I mean, ten percent after pulling out of Afghanistan is that's a gift. Yeah. I mean, you should be asking for thirty percent cut or forty percent cut after pulling out of Afghanistan. Fifty percent cut. But what I mean, it's it's all a honeypot. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all just money flowing into people's pockets and they're not going to let it they're not going to let it go. And that's why, you know, when you look at the 202 area code, Washington, D.C., I mean, it's so easy to just see how helpless it is to try to get try to get anything changed there. But mm-hmm. if you the person who's like. Well, my local level would be hard. I mean, if you live in a hard, I mean, if you live in the Bronx and you're right leaning, why would you get involved in politics locally? Just get the hell out of there. You know, if you lived in like some suburb of Illinois and you were a Republican, why would you try and change your local? Just get the hell out of there. But if you live in like friggin' rural Texas and you live in a town of 10,000 or 5,000, and I mean, do you, the cathedral is not, I mean, Andrew from Popular Liberty was doing a lot of work in Texas. Um, and he was saying um, door knocking and things like that. And he was saying that he's like, it would be, he was saying that like local mayors can get, get elected for less than using less than $500. Yeah. He said it's more expensive. It, it's harder to get elected to the school board. Than it is, you know, it costs more to get elected to the school board than it costs to, you know, be elected mayor in some towns. Yeah. If you can get elected to the school board, you can get a few of your friends elected to the school board. Think about the changes you can make, you know, or yeah. just to the town town council. But you know, most people have become, especially ANCAPs or agorists or voluntarists. Well, I'm not gonna. No, all politics is immoral and everything. You just want to be a king over me. I mean, these are children. Mm-hmm. People who make comments like that, they're just basically children. They've bought into an idea, they bought into an ideology. And it's no different than like buying into the woke progressive ideology and just parroting things that they say. You know, Black Lives Matter. Um, it's this is all the patriarchy, everything like that. I mean. Uh, it's amazing to me that libertarians do not see that like so many of the things that come out of their mouths are just no different than that in in that you're saying things that you really haven't given thought to they sound good like um um good ideas don't require force oh yeah. really do you think private property is a good idea i think private property is a good idea how are you going to enforce private property how are you going to enforce it? Oh, it's in the name. It's in in force. 
you're going to have to use force. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe good ideas do require force. You just, oh, initiating force. Oh, uh, initiating violence. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> a lot of libertarianism goes back to um, a lot of people try to connect libertarianism back to the founding of the country. Did those guys, um, yeah. did those guys initiate violence? Do you, mm-hmm. do you, do you make excuses for them? I mean, do they violate the nap? I yeah. Mean, you know, I mean, was it a good idea? I mean, for 2% tax, I mean, I know people, right. I know people right now paying 40, I know people in California paying 55% tax when it comes to federal and state tax and city tax. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, if you taxation is theft. Yeah. Is force. Okay. Is, is violence. Okay. I don't know. Maybe these are questions that should be asked. Maybe it wouldn't be prudent, but at least the word should be said. Yeah. Unless, you know, unless you're fearful or something like that. I don't know. You know it's like, these are the questions. Th- these are the problems that I think that libertarianism has is that you're just not at, you're not, people don't follow anything to the logical conclusion anymore. And you know, I've come to the conclusion that we don't need more libertarians. We need a better libertarian strategy. Yeah. Like we need a better strategy for liberty. And I think Hoppe gave it to us 25 years ago. And to just ignore it now is insane. I mean, unless yeah. you just think he was wrong. You know, and I know it's an appeal to authority fallacy if you're like, well, you know, to say, you know, maybe you sh- if you're questioning Hoppe, you should really rethink it. But really, I mean, he's, I would say he's the greatest libertarian thinker alive. I'm, yeah, I would, I would agree with Sorry. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think most he, people who, who, you know, are of the Mises tent would also agree. I mean, who else? I mean, there are other great thinkers. Walter Block. I mean, you know, like Walter Block, we have Walter Block um, Joe Salerno. Joe Salerno, even some of the, um, you know, more up and coming guys, Tom like, Woods. like Purr, yeah, or Tom, Tom Woods. Woods. Yeah. You know, these are, these are people who like, you know, are smart people, but I mean, who has cultivated such a knowledge base and, and practical like ways to spread ideas more than Hoppe right now? I mean, we, a lot of people, you know, joke about like how he's a small figure here in Europe. He's not a small figure. He's on national television constantly. He's, he's debating like public officials on TV. You know, there's, there's this really great clip that I really suggest people check out where he calls a judge, like a parasite on national t- television. Yeah, he says, you're a, a you're a scum sucking parasite. Like he, he knows what he's doing. He's yeah. achieved more than any member of the LP um, that any libertarian oh presidential candidate has oh yeah, in 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 just a few years, you know, yeah, that's not even in question. Um, yeah, we were having a discussion the other day privately, and we were talking about the leap when Rothbard came on the scene and where he, how much he progressed Mises' work. So you know, Mises was not an anarchist, you know, and. Rothbard took it to that next level. And I made the point that I think that Hoppe took 
Rothbard even further than Rothbard took Mises because Hoppe's from Germany, he's European, and he understands exactly how important culture is. Hmm. I mean, he and he's unapologetic about it. And that's what I love about him. I love, I love the fact that he makes people bristle, that he makes a certain element of libertarians angry. I mean, like violently angry um, to the point where, you know, Alex Narasta from Cato is like, oh, I'd like Hoppe a lot more if he actually, you know, but I'm more of an economics guy and Hoppe doesn't write on economics. Yeah, that's like, how that's how insane Hoppe makes people when he makes a statement like that, where he just sounds like a complete retard. Yeah, and, I mean, Al yeah. Alex's whole shtick is that you know he wishes he was half as you know famous as Brian Kaplan, and Brian Kaplan's not that famous either. Uh, but like, yeah, and, but, Brian, uh, but I appreciate Brian. I mean, I don't agree yeah, with Brian I mean, on some on on a couple things. You know, I don't agree with him on borders, and I don't agree with him. Uh, you know, on his opinions of the business cycle, but I mean, the, the yeah, he's not he's not a crybaby. He's not somebody who, when he's arguing for open when he's arguing for open borders and he's arguing with a closed borders person, he's not calling them a xenophobe and a racist. You know, that's yeah, Alex. Yeah. That's Alex's job. That's you know, like everybody wants well, yeah. Dave and Alex to Dave and Alex to like debate publicly, and I'm like. I'm not going to sit there for an hour, an hour and a half and listen to somebody just say xenophobe and racist over and over again and 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 present evidence that is from Cato. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, here's my evidence for why why open borders is more economically beneficial for uh, why, why is more beneficial for the economy than closed borders. And it's like, oh, where, where did you get all this? Stuff? Oh, this is all from Cato. Well, I mean, I'm going to need to cite some sources from somewhere else. You know, I mean, if I'm going to, yeah. when I make some claims like that, I mean, anyone who's read Democracy, the, the God That Failed, um, knows that when Hoppe talks about like unlimited immigration, he's not quoting himself when he talks about the statistics. He's quoting other people and he's quoting many other sources. <clears throat> and a lot of the time he's quoting sources from liberals. Yeah. And progressives, you know, who are making the point that, yeah, this just there has to be some kind of there has to be some kind of restriction. You have to know who's coming in and that culture matters. And yeah, I mean, it's just it's just so anathema to say. And it really like, you know, I can like I may use this um, this episode on my podcast if I, you know, if I need an episode or I've, you know, yeah. I think this is I think this is a great episode. And I can just hear when I say culture that people listening to this who listen to my show on a regular basis are rolling their eyes at me. And that's because they do not understand how much leftist thought and progressive thought and neoliberal thought has influenced libertarianism over the years. I mean, yeah. the LP position is completely open borders. The LP position is to celebrate abortion. Why is that the libertarian position? I mean, the libertarian position on borders is that all borders should be private. And then you should have an opinion on, okay, well, now let's live in the real world. 
Okay, and have a good argument for that. Abortion? Why does the LP even talk about that? Okay, so, I mean, that's not a libertarian because that's a positive right. Or you, they, they try to make the argument, the negative argument that, um, oh, a, a woman doesn't, um, yeah, you know, a woman has a right not to, yeah, a woman has a right, yeah. uh, it's her body that she has a right to do what she wants. And that's a negative right and everything. It's like, well, I mean, <laughs> there's people out there who are arguing for third trimester. And then they go, oh, no, 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 I'm not talking about third trimester. I'm talking about first trimester. Oh, okay. So you're, let's talk about first trimester then. And then they're like, well, no, that's just settled science. And then they start sounding like COVIDians. Maybe that's why yeah. so many of them are COVIDians, because yeah. they think science is settled. Science isn't settled. Anyone who says science is settled or trusts the science is a, doesn't understand what science is. Mm -hmm. Science is. They think science is this, is this singular thing and not a process. Science is yeah. a process. It's not a singular thing. And also, and, and you can make statistics mean anything you want. I mean, that's like the whole border argument. You know, it's like, well, if you look at the economics of open borders here, it's like, well, you can make statistics mean anything you want. I mean, think about this. I mean, I, and I, I said this, and I've said this on my show and a couple other shows, but a couple of weeks ago, when all those people were pouring over the border, coming across the Rio Grande, um, from Mexico to the United States, where you had like 13,000 Haitians who didn't come from Haiti. They were, they were in Brazil and somebody brought them from Brazil. Who had they get there from Brazil? You can't drive from Brazil to Mexico. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's a little problem in Panama that you may not know about. But how did they get there? And are these people coming here to help us establish Ancapistan? If your goal is to establish, if, if one of your goals is in Kapistan, mm -hmm. don't you think you'd want to associate with people who share that vision? Which is why I'm almost willing to be like, I don't care about open borders. I don't care about borders anymore because I just want to concentrate locally. And that's why if you're, if you're for like wide open borders, anyone can come here. You can, you know, I mean, I just found out like the most Afghani refugee, Afghan refugees are being settled in Arizona. Isn't it great? Isn't it interesting that Arizona was a purple state? You know, yeah. Is, is, isn't it interesting that Arizona is a purple state and, you know, maybe you get enough people in there, it's going to turn blue. Um, yeah. Well, and you, this is why you have to go local. Mm-hmm. Because all of this, that you have this, this cancer of national politics constantly pushing everything to the far left, you have to get to the right as possible, and you can only do that locally. You're not going to be able to do it nationally. Yeah. Well, and, and libertarians will often, or at least these kinds of libertarians, will often subtly you know, admit that we're right that when you move a group of people in, it's going to change the culture and politics because they supported the New Hampshire project. And we know the New Hampshire project works. I mean, look at New Hampshire now versus a few decades ago. It worked, you know. Um, it doesn't mean we're going to have in Kapistan and New Hampshire. No, not necessarily, but it's definitely a better place to live than pretty much anywhere else in the country, uh, you know, if you're a libertarian, if you're libertarian-minded, um, and, and you know they look at and that's that, one of the things and and that's ignore, one of the things when I know? was in that's one of the things when I was an open borders guy um, that really got me 
was somebody somebody asking somebody saying, "Oh, so you don't think that people pouring over the border into a certain area is going to change the culture? Yet you support the Free State Project." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> all right." I mean, I, I have think to it's, think about this a little harder. <laughs> it's an, and it's impossible to rationalize the Free State Project being um, successful and open borders not having the consequence of, of creating an, an illiberal or non-libertarian state. Like, do you really think that people coming from Afghanistan, the place that you just decried as being, you know, evil because the Taliban wants to destroy women's rights, destroy women's rights. They don't want women um, working at, as bank tellers or whatever. You really think them coming to Arizona is, is going to make things better? better for your standards as, 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 a, as a liberal or or as a libertarian no obviously not even if they vote you know they vote blue despite the fact that their social values you know are the opposite of whatever the democratic party is but that's because they're not voting on those lines they're voting because they realize who got them there you know yeah. what why am I uh, why am I awake today? Why am I living in, you know, a first world country today? It's because Democrats voted to let me live here. Yeah. You know, and so I will vote blue. But is my culture going to get better? Am I going to um, am I going to be able to coexist with people who who think that, you know, women shouldn't be bank tellers? And I think women should be bank tellers. You know, um, in this hypothetical, you know, of course, but it, it, it's it's a contradiction. And I think and something another concept that a lot of libertarians are ignorant of um, is bioleninism. Just think about bioleninism. You know, there is a hierarchy in the minds of leftists, even if they say that they hate hierarchies and stuff about people based on certain statuses, whether it be race, um, their gender their um, even down to ethnicity or uh, are, are they a disabled person? Are they, um, you know, wh whatever the, the, the arbitrary or non-arbitrary condition is, they have a hierarchy for that. And they, they place people's importance on that. And it's an effective strategy it's a very effective strategy to getting people to vote for them to, to succeed in their goals. I mean, is the country becoming more left wing or right wing? That's all you have to ask yourself mm -hmm. and see who's succeeding. And yeah. it, I mean, and but I mean, it, it almost seems like when you talk about, you know, they have that whole libertarians have that whole thing. Oh, we're neither left nor right and everything. It's yeah. like, well, I mean, the left or um, some some libertarians hate the left more than they hate the state. It's like, well, they're one and the same now. Yeah. Or some libertarians hate the left more than they love liberty. No, I hate the left because I love liberty. Yeah. I mean, I know that they're, I know that the right's imperfect, but I also know that I have more in common that, li that the average libertarian who believes in private property rights has more in common with a right winger who goes to church on Sunday than they do with a left winger who is voting for, who thinks that like Elizabeth Warren is woke or is an AOC fan. 
I mean, really, what do you have? Or is like showing, taking a picture of, of themselves getting the jab and putting it on social media. It's, it's the ha- memories of the happiest day of my life. Not, yeah. Like these, these people are, so you are, have kids. Are, yeah. You, you have kids, <laughs> you got married, presumably, you know, though, you know, there is that problem of people getting, not getting married and having kids, but I'm assuming this woman is married and, you know, she's saying getting the vaccine is her happiest day of her life. These people are, are, are on a completely different level of existence. You know, uh, I had a kid in uh, one of my classes at my university who b- basically started breaking down crying because he was scared of getting COVID because we were in person now. Like this, this is somebody, this is not somebody I can relate to on any level. This is somebody who is, is so fearful of, of the mere act of going outside. I, I don't have anything in common with this person. I don't, I can't, having this person as a neighbor would be like having no neighbor at all you know yeah. and the libertarians I'll tell refused. you man this is all this all goes back to the 20th century and that's why yes. i think the name of this is the name of your podcast is great is yeah. because the 20th century i i can i can judge a person on whether they think the 20th century was a positive or a negative by how they answer and I'm even willing to give them the benefit of the doubt if their first answer is based on technology. Mm-hmm. And then I go, okay, this isn't about technology. This is about politics and this is about culture. What do you, and I even had it, I, I said, I said, do you know how many people's cultures were absolutely destroyed in the 20th century in the name of democracy? And someone said, well, if their culture, you know, it, it, why would you want bad cultures to survive? I'm like, they're because you don't just go around destroy, you don't just go around purposely destroying people. I mean, that's still the, the like Ill, that's very illiberal. Um, yeah, and I found out found out another thing is people don't understand Mises what Mises meant by liberal and illiberal. Um, but yes, you know, it's like you what happened in the 20th century? I mean, I've detailed this many times is world war one destroyed any semblance of, of a real kind of monarchy that was left in Europe. And it had been coming for a long time. Obviously the American revolution destroyed monarchy in this country. And then, you know, just on and on and on. And you just see the dominoes fall. And then after World War One, well, what, what happens 20 years later? They have another world war. Hey, what happens in between? Have a Great Depression. What else happens in between? You have fascism rise up in, in Europe. Um, you have, during the First World War, you have the, um, the communist revolution in, in Russia. I mean, and then over the 20th century, you basically have half a billion people killed by their own uh, by their own um governments democide you have the dollar destroyed i mean absolutely decimated people's wealth just absolutely decimated at one point they take away they make it illegal for you to, to own gold and they confiscate gold um which is historically wealth and, and riches and people look at the 20th century because they have air conditioning 
now that the 20th century was a good thing. I mean, the last 18 months, the tyranny that has been allowed to take hold in certain parts of this country and, 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 and a good part of a good part of this country in Australia, Canada is close to Australia with what's going on. The reason that happened is because the 20th century happened because they just, people were made soft. People are just reliant upon the government. People have no idea of, have no idea how, economics works where i mean you look at eight, you look at like a test an economics test from high school in like the 1930s or 40s and i mean i i doubt that most economics majors even post grad in college could pass it now because yeah. it's just it's just not it's beyond it's not the same yeah i it's- mean we are a weakened weak-willed dumbed down dumbed down people not all of us. Come on, you know I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing here. Not all of us, but most of us are. You know, it's like I mean, I, I, mean, I could start a fire. I mean, I can cook. I mean, I can do. I can do an amazing amount of things that, for somebody who grew up, spent his first 18 years in the biggest city, you know, the capital of the world, New York City, um, that I've learned to do after that. That makes me even more of an makes me even more of an outdoorsman than a lot of people who grew up in friggin' rural Georgia or places like that. You know, and that's sad. I mean, I, I'm not bragging. I mean, it was just stuff that I became interested in that I wanted to learn. Um, because I knew, especially after I became a libertarian in 2007, I was like, oh, this shit's gonna come crashing down really bad one day. So I better be able to get my, you know, get my ducks in a row and be able to do things. And then, you know, over the last 18 months, it's just like, okay, well, I guess it's starting. But the last 18 months couldn't even happen without the 20th century. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 20th century is everything that happened that was allowed to happen. I mean, go read James Burnham, you know, read his books and you realize that there were people calling this in the thirties and forties. They knew this was going to, they knew where this was going and because people were given power and power was being decentralized. Now we talked about decentralized power a little while ago. And when you have local decentralized power, that's a good thing. When you have democratic decentralized power, over 340 million people, that's not a good thing. I mean, think about it. If somebody hypothetically wanted to overthrow this government, how would they do it? How would they do it? The NSA is in one state. The ATF is in another state. The DEA is in another state. The FBI and the CIA are in different places. Washington, I mean, you have the White House, they can get the president out of there in a heartbeat. They can get the lawmakers out of there in a heartbeat. How would you do it? Because it's radically decentralized. You know, it's something that Curtis Yarvin has been calling for since 2007 is a formal government, is you know who is in charge and you know who to blame when things go wrong. And people have this, you know, I, I, when, when I see people complaining about, you know, oh, look at the price of gas, that's Joe Biden. And then like 10 minutes later, they'll post that Joe Biden is pissing himself and doesn't know where he is. 
okay, if he's pissing himself and doesn't know where he is, how is he responsible for the price of gas going up? Do you think yeah. there might be people behind the scenes? Do you think Barack Obama and Susan Rice might be running the government right now? Probably. If you really think about it, if you've really been paying attention, um, do you think John Kerry has a big say in what's going on right now? Probably. And that's three people right there. Then you have all these people at the Pentagon who are, you know, making decisions to not tell, to go to quote unquote, America's biggest enemy right now, China and say, and I don't believe that for, for a second and yeah. say, well, if Trump decides he wants to do something in the last days, we won't carry, we won't follow the order. I mean, okay. So who's in charge? It's so radically decentralized. We don't know who's in charge. Who's in charge? No, we need to know who's in charge. If you're going to, I mean, that's why, you know, in, in a local government, well, who's in charge? That's the mayor. It's the executive. You know, I even, I was in a, a county in um, Georgia that had a CEO at the county. It was, it literally, he was called the CEO. Mm -hmm. those people these are the people in charge something goes wrong you can blame them you can get them out you can get them out of there you know yeah. you might you might even know where they live mm -hmm. i mean you're 535 lawmakers at the pentagon 17 now 19 intelligence agencies come on yeah. why are you why are you involved in national politics anymore yeah get involved locally you you may not be able to do anything, but at least you have a shot. You have yeah. no shot. Naturally. I think I think it's interesting you bring that up, and specifically China, because um, a project I'm working on right now is um, talking about the myth of popular revolutions. We see libertarians all the time. You know, we we need another 1776. We need another revolution, and it's like, no, you actually don't want that. Revolutions are not some popular uprising to restore everything to liberal order. Even the American Revolution would not have happened if the French did not use it as a foreign policy tool to destabilize England after their, you know, frankly, embarrassing loss in the French Indian War. You know, I, you, you can point to me any revolution in human history and I can show you exactly what foreign power was behind it. We, we mentioned earlier the communist revolution of 1917. Literally, Kaiser Wilhelm himself was giving money out of his own pocket to the, the Red Army because he knew it would destabilize the allies and make it harder for them to win the war. Yep. And, you know, if we if we saw a revolution today, it's not going to be some, you know, uh, return to liberal tradition and, and libertarian values. It's going to be some puppet of, of maybe China, though, as you said, China is not really as big of a threat as we're made out to be. Maybe Russia, probably not. But, you know, we're at the state where the, the only people who could inspire some revolution are elites here. And do you think the elites here are, are, are going to inspire a revolution for libertarianism? No, they, they don't benefit from libertarianism. They are directly harmed. They lose all their subsidies. They lose all their, you know, ability to monopolize markets. They lose everything if libertarians win, 
You think they're really going to fund a revolution and get that off the ground that's going to help your goals? No. And certainly not any other foreign nation is going to do that for you. Even the states you point to, to being very libertarian, whether it be Switzerland or Liechtenstein or Iceland, whatever, um, the Nordic states to some degree, they're not going to they're not going to fund you. They're not going to help you do that. In fact, they they lean on, you know, the United States as it is a lot to, to keep them, you know, you know, NATO, um, the NATO alliance, almost all our defense spending, all their defense spending is us. Except for Switzerland and um, Iceland, but yeah, I mean, we have a major especially. Air Force base at, at Reykjavik Airport in Iceland. Yeah, I saw C-130s when I was there. Um, exactly. Th- this country had the closest thing to libertarianism right after the Revolutionary War, when mm-hmm. the Articles of Confederation were in um, were in existence. Now, of course, I hate that I have to make this frigging caveat, but yes, there were slaves at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still, if you were to take that um, Articles of Confederation and bring it forward now, it would we be much freer. And Judge Napolitano, I asked him that when we were interviewing him for our documentary, and he said, "Yeah, absolutely, we'd have a lot more freedom now." But the elites in this country didn't allow that to, to go on very long. What was it, six, seven years? Yeah, and then and they, they sent- went to Philadelphia yeah. to amend the Articles of Confederation, and in a insane coup, decided to lock the doors and throw it out and start drawing up a new document. And the way that you can, and people love to argue, no, that didn't happen. The way you know it happened was because they had constitutional conventions in the state. They had to go home and convince their convinced their individual states that this was a good thing. And even, I think it was New York and Rhode Island, didn't ratify, um, didn't accept the Constitution until 1792, 1793? They they basically, yeah, I mean, they basically like strong-armed them into doing it and saying, okay, if you don't want to accept the Constitution, we'll just let the British right into your front door and, you know, and, and, you know, when you threaten to have their entire, you know, cities leveled by British troops, yeah, I guess, like, I guess I'm going to sign this document. I mean, I don't want to die. And, you know, I, I think it's amazing how few people know that, like, Thomas Jefferson, the person who wrote the Declaration of Independence, he wasn't at the signing of the Constitution. He, was he wasn't France. allowed anywhere near it until it he, was he way was in after France. it was done. He was in yeah. France when it was being, um, when it was being drawn up. Yeah, he and John uh, Adams were in France when when, the, when it was being drawn up. Or 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 Aaron Burr, Aaron Burr wasn't allowed to touch it. Um, Sam Adams was not allowed to touch it. All these people were not like all these people that were you know ardent defenders of uh, Articles of Confederation, of lots of limits on uh, a federal executive power, were not allowed. You know there there were people who were jailed you know for speaking out against this. And why why do you think the First Amendment is the first? because Thomas Jefferson knew that people were being jailed for speaking out against the constitution that he was trying to limit. And, you know, I think, I think with the slavery caveat, I mean, the constitution is the, the document that's upholding slavery. It wasn't the articles of confederation. In fact, I mean, Jefferson, who was the biggest supporter of it, you know, he wanted to put that clause in 
the Declaration of Independence that we should end slavery. He wanted to add things to end slavery. And, you know, you can argue about, yeah, he didn't free his slaves when he died or whatever. Look, we, we, we all know this. We all understand it. And sure, he should have done that. He didn't get over it. Okay. But this, this was a man who, you know, recognized that the Constitution would have been a great mistake. And it was. And you know what? It, he spent all his years as president and a politician and alive undermining it. What do you think the Louisiana Purchase was other than to show that the Constitution is not a limiting document? It let him do whatever the hell he wanted, you know? And he was like, look, you, you, you say I can do whatever the hell I want. Well, I'm going to buy, you know, all of this territory. What are we going to pay it with? You figure that out. You're the ones who wanted to build this. So, yeah. And, you know, we see what the Constitution got us, you know, 240 years later. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just 245 or 244, whatever it is right now. Um, yeah, that is the biggest government in history. And I don't know. You know, it, I've made comments before, like, you know, what do you think would have happened if we would have just stayed under King George III? And they're like, and people are like, well, England did this and England did that, and this would have happened. And I'm like, you can't be 100% sure that England would have taken the exact same route that they did if they would have had, you know, this, the income and everything coming from this richest land now and everything like, you know, this, you know, North America. So I don't know, you know, it's, we are where we are, you know, we can go back and we can look back, you know, so what are we going to do in the future? And really, honestly, I think it's, we just have to go we have to go back to you know, what a lot of people have always believed is that you have the smaller it is, you know, you have the Greek city states, things, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, that, you know, existed for a very long time. And, um, you know, now we have the, before, you know, the history of 2,500 years to learn mistakes from, you know, and I think it, uh, once again, to mention the man's name, we need to just read what Hoppe's written and um, you know, run with it from there. And not everybody's going to be able to do it. I think that, you know, I say get out of blue cities and get out of big cities. It's not that easy. I mean, I know people own businesses. I know people have ties. I know, you know, but if you honestly... I mean, I left a big city that I really, I I didn't like it. I didn't really, but it was, there was, there's really good things about living in a big city. There are some real advantages, but I wouldn't trade it for the world now. It's just, I'm so much, I feel so much safer. I feel so much more comfortable. Um, I feel like that there's, we could actually make a stand against tyranny here and uh, you're not going to do that in a city. You're not going to do that in a blue town. You know, luckily, thankfully, you know, in most of the country, when you get into smaller towns, they they lean red. You know, mm-hmm. so you 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 may have a more 1776 kind of attitude, even if they don't want to pick up muskets. You know, at least they're they'll, far they'll, more they'll manageable. Have, you know, yeah, well, and they'll more of a fuck you attitude too. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I I live in upstate New York. And, you know, people forget upstate New York even exists. But oh, yeah. in my town, you know, we have an all Republican city council. Our mayor is a Republican. 
but they're also on the libertarian ballot. Like they're on both ballots. And, you know, we live in probably the best place to live in New York, um, Saratoga County. We have the mm-hmm. lowest property taxes. We have the lowest sales taxes. You know, there's there's literally no better place to live if you're going to live in New York, uh, which I don't recommend. But <laughs> for obvious reasons, because, you know, we still have the problem of, you know, the city controls all of New York politics. And I was talking about this with Bill Bishop, you know. If somebody decided to, in the LP of New York, decided to, okay, we're going to work, with, we're going to actually work with Republicans, like, because um, we have a party called the Conservative Party that works with Republicans all the time. We worked with these three, these two parties, and we said, let's do a secede from New York City thing. It would be unbelievably popular. You could go to pretty much anybody pr- on, on the street and say, would you support, um, you know, seceding from New York City, and even probably a Democrat will say yes. They'll say yes. We don't. We don't want to be part of New York City, and it's because New York City doesn't give a shit about what happens in upstate New York. It's just it's a, a bunch of hick farmers. You know, well, I, what well, do they care? They're also stealing from you guys. Yeah, they're I also mean, sponging off you guys. That's one of the problems with like Northern California, which is like super red is they're resource rich and basically Southern California and San Francisco basically steal all their resources and take all their tax money and they don't even get to keep any of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, screw you. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, those places are horrid. I mean, they basically, you're looking at tent cities. I mean, Los Angeles, there's parts of Los Angeles that are, of Southern California that have just become tent cities they're third world countries. San Francisco's turning into a third world country. It's like you can't even walk down the street without hu- stepping in human excrement. I mean, people are not thinking about this, that after a, after a months and months of violence in the streets and murder in the streets and cities being burnt last year, now we, we see tent cities and we see people defecating in the streets openly and proudly. It's like yeah. there, there are parts of this country that are no different, that are worse than the third world. Yeah. I mean, when you think about that, you think about India, you think about these really poor, cast poor towns in India where you, you know, they go down alleys to defecate openly. They, people have sex openly in the street. And everything. I mean, that's parts of the United States are like that now. I mean, mm-hmm. Are we going to get better? Are those places going to get better? Or is that going to continue to spread? Well, history tells us that it, it's going to spread. So mm-hmm. you better fortify and insulate where you are right now to keep that out. I mean, I'm not even being hyperbolic here. It is it's coming for you. And if you don't realize that you're gonna, you're gonna lose, it's going to be, life's going to be really bad. Yeah. I, I, I agree entirely. I mean, things are going to get worse before they get better. And, you know, this is true of all human history. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you, Pete, for coming on. We've had a great, great conversation. I think um, I always like talking to you. 
Uh, you have really great insights and, you know, I'll, uh, I'll make sure to drop down a link to your podcast, Twitter. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. Um, I think it's really important that you take to heart kind of the things we talked about today and uh, hopefully, you know, you'll tune in next time. Uh, we'll see who we'll have next time, but yeah, thank you, Pete. If there's anything you wanted to say. No, I'm good. I got my plugs in up front. Thank you. All right. Yep. No.